Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 286 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday, February 23rd, 2021. And you know what? The Duke Blue Devils are back. They had an outstanding victory last night against the Syracuse Orange. We are going to get into all of that, and we're going to preview their upcoming game against Louisville, a game that Duke has already played once this year and lost by a close margin. So we'll be looking ahead to how the Blue Devils can recover from that loss and hopefully avenge it in in their continued quest to make the NCAA tournament as a bit of a comeback team. But before that, I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. I am joined as always by Jason Evans. Jason, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. Do I look, I know the people out there are only hearing our voices. You guys can see my face. Do I look a little disheveled? I look a little crazy, don't I? I just, just got back. Bit. Yeah, what I just got back from a uh, sixteen-mile bike ride. It is it is like sixty-two degrees here in Atlanta. Like it is spring weather, and so I said I'm getting back on my bike. Um, so I just got back from a nice long bike ride. It was it was great. I feel fabulous. Everyone, Jason Evans exercises. So make sure to <laughs> congratulate him the next time you see him. Donald Wine is also here. Donald, have you gone for a bike ride today? I have not, but it, I am in Texas this week, and it is equally warm. I will tell you this, we heard all last week about all the, you know, snow and the ice and the sleet and everything that all of Texas got. Well, if you had not heard that and you are seeing what I'm seeing, you would have thought that last week was made up because I'm looking outside and there is not a flake of snow on the ground, not a cube of ice to be found except in the freezer. So uh, it's, it's very nice down here, which is great. It's in the forties up here in New England. And so I'm you know, <laughs> probably going to switch into a t-shirt and run around. Outside. No, I feel great. What do you mean? This is awesome. I, I, I thrive I, in this weather. Hoodie weather is the best weather. There you go. Exactly. All right. So we need to talk about this Duke Syracuse game because it was a thrill pretty much from, I wouldn't say from start to finish. Cause it kind of, it kind of ended as a bit of a drag. It was sort of a foregone conclusion for the last 10 ish minutes of the game, but Duke blitzed Syracuse last night. The final score was 85 to 71 for most of the game. It was, it was not, it was not even close to an 85 to 71. It was not an 85 to 71 game. I'll tell you that at halftime, Duke was winning 52 to 34. And that feels a little bit more like the pace that we were seeing. And, and really in the second half, things slowed down for both teams. I know that Syracuse made a bit of what you might call a comeback to get the score within 20 and, and maybe make the, the final score a little bit more respectable, but this game was over way earlier than that. So I want to talk through all that. And by the way, Syracuse has had some comebacks this year. So it's not like it was impossible for them to, to come back last night, but Duke just, just kept their, their foot on Syracuse next, the whole second half. So I want to talk about all of that, but we, of course we have to start with the headlines. So guys, give me your headlines from last night's beatdown of the Syracuse orange Donald. I'll get yours first. Very simply here comes duke oh i like it it's a classic jason evans what do you got my headline is mark the mountain williams too much for syracuse as the devils dominate i like this one too it's got the uh it's got the alliteration it's got the reference to a specific player it's got the the subheading man excellent excellent work (laughs) by both of you my headline for this uh speaking of the classics my headline is the kids are all right because we saw I like three great performances, I think, from, from the freshmen who are getting a lot of minutes. Mark Williams, the aforementioned, as well as DJ Stewart and Jeremy Roach. So, Jason, 
I'll come to you for the good. And I feel like we'll spend a lot of time here on this episode, just like we did on the last episode. Tell me about the good. I feel like you want to start with Mark Williams. Yeah, let's start with Mark the Mountain. Um, he posted the first double-double of his career, Mark Williams did. And um, I am here to say it will not be the last double-double of his career. Jimmy Beheim, after the game, said this about Mark Williams. He said, that big guy is really good. I mean, he made them a better team. And I think Jimmy B was saying that because he sort of wants to prove his point about the whole Jalen Johnson controversy, which frankly, I don't want us to talk about it at all. I'm, I'm bringing it wait, up and I don't want wait, us to talk can about I just, it. I, I'll just note yeah, that unoffic- no, 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 no. That's the only thing I want to mention. Unofficially, I timed how much that they talked about it on the broadcast last night. I timed it at seven minutes and 20 seconds. That is not counting a commercial break that they went to in the middle of it. And, and by the way, that was in the first half. Like, they could, if they did it in the second half when Duke was basically coasting, the, I mean, the second half, you were only watching this game if you're a Duke fan and you were enjoying watching us beat the pants off of Syracuse. So I could have seen an extended segment in the second half, but in the first half, to spend seven minutes on this nothing meaningless controversy, it's like, forget about it. But back to Mark Williams, um, Jim Beheim pointed out that Quincy Garrier um, was supposed to try and go directly at Mark, that the way you beat a shot blocker is you go at him, you go into his body, you force him to make contact. And, he's, and Quincy Garrier is a really good ACC big man. We, we mentioned him in the preview. Sam talked about him extensively. And Jim Beheim said, you know, Garrier tried to sort of shoot around Mark Williams. He couldn't do that. And that Mark Williams just completely took Quincy out of his game. And uh, Quincy Garrier only had seven points on three of 11 shooting. And that was because Mark Williams was dominant on the inside. Look, Mark Williams had a plus minus in this game. Again, I've said this before, plus minus, a very flawed statistic. But on the other hand, (laughs) here's the number. Mark Williams is plus minus in this game, plus 28. That's sick. That's ridiculous. Plus 28. On the season, Mark Williams, by the way, is now grabbing Offensive rebounds, this is a great stat on Mark Williams. He grabs offensive rebounds at a 15.6% rate when he's in the game. That means when he's in the game, he gets about one-sixth of the shots that Duke's miss. If Duke misses, there's about a one-in-six chance he's going to get he's going to get that offensive rebound. If, if he played enough minutes to qualify for the national leaders, he would be among the 10 to 15 best offensive rebounding players in the entire country. Uh, Mark Williams has turned into an absolute force on the inside. And if you were a team that doesn't have someone who can sort of physically make life difficult for him, which, you know, Virginia did. Jay Huff made life difficult for him. Duke had to play differently against Virginia than, um, you know, with their big men than we did against, uh, against Syracuse. If you're a team that can't force Duke to, to not play Mark Williams, Mark Williams is going to play and he's probably going to dominate the paint. That's a big, big deal for Duke. That was not there earlier this season. And by the way, going back to the beginning of the season when we were doing stats predictions, I know we talked a lot about Mark Williams potentially leading the team in field goal percentage. I I think Jason laughed at me because I didn't pick him for that. And I'm the one looking stupid right now. Mark Williams' field goal percentage after a couple of games where he had a lot of putbacks and dunks is now over 60% for the season. Now, a very good big man is going to is going to make 60% of his shots because he's not going to take that many from outside. But to see a freshman doing that and to pull that average up over the course of the season where for the last few games, he's been over 50%, over 60% basically every night, that's incredible. And and a testament, I think, to to a lot of the progress that he's made 
even just in the last few weeks of becoming more comfortable. Because as you pointed out, Jason, he was going up against a a strong ACC big man last night, and he got the better of him. I mean, Gurrier didn't have a uh, wasn't able to to counter Williams uh, the way that you would expect. Yeah. So for me, I just want to start with this. We waited quite a long time, but I think these past few games have been the Duke team we were told we were going to get this season. It took a while, but we're starting to get to that point where we're starting to see the guys who were supposed to be good shooters are making baskets. The guys who we said are going to lead this team are starting to lead this team. The man who is going to be a man has been the man all year, Matthew Hurt, but we, some of the guys around him have started to come into their own. I will note with this, I think this was the best stat of the entire game. We made our first, our, our first 14 made baskets were assisted. We assisted on 16 of 20 made baskets in the first half. And in total, we had 27 assists in the game on 34 made baskets, 27 being the most second most that we've had in the ACC under coach K in his career. So uh, I believe it was way back in like 1991 or something where we had 29 against Clemson, but 27 against Syracuse. That is an excellent ball movement. And for this defense that they had their their matchup zone, you have to pass into it. And they were very good. I mean, right off the bat, we get the tip, we go down and as we pass the ball around like five or six times alley-oop to Mark Williams. It, that was the, that set the tone for the whole game. And I think because we were able to move the ball, it let them get great shots. They were making them. We had, I think, 10 in the first half. So that sort of thing is the Duke basketball that we said we were, gonna, we were, we were told we were going to get this season. It's come a few months late, but we're starting to come into our own, and guys are starting to play with the confidence that we've been told that they've had all season. Yeah, that's sharing the ball. It was such a huge, huge part of this game. For Duke to get assists, here's the number. 79.4% of their baskets were assisted. That's, that's like a joke. It's a crazy number. Like Donald said, this is the most assists Duke has had since 2001. Um, you know, in a game against most in an ACC game against Clemson, uh, it's just a, an absurd number of assists to have in a game. And and I want to point out that it was multiple guys. I mean, Jeremy Roach had seven assists. DJ Stewart had seven assists. We were getting the passing from all over the floor, and it shows you. I think I said this one or two podcasts ago. Hey, maybe these young guys, maybe it takes them a little while to figure out how to play together. But once they do figure out how to play together, once they figure out where everyone is supposed to be. Once they figure out where their teammate's going to be without thinking about it, with it just happening, they are really, really good. And it, it, it has been – Donald, you're right. We are finally getting the Duke team we thought we were going to get, and it's, it's been so much fun. It's just fun to watch them. That's the best part. It, it's not like we're, we're getting some team where like, oh, it's still a struggle and they're, they're not putting everything together. I mean, that first half last night – everything was put together. Like it was, I mean, we were talking about last night when we were chatting, we were talking about how they would go on a run. Syracuse would go on a run and we'd be like, oh man, we need to probably call a timeout or something to stop this. And then we'd look up like, oh wait, we're still up 20. We're still up 18. So in the second half, it became where even if Syracuse went on a run, it's because we were so far ahead able to coast for much of the second half, which is what you want to see from Duke. You want to see them put teams away early and never let them back into the game. And they were never in this game from the opening tip. Speaking of the way that this team has developed, one of the things that I noticed last night was the way that the guard combo of DJ Stewart, Jeremy Roach, and Jordan Goldwire all played well together, even as 
different guys were were taking rests on the bench and, and sort of subbing in for each other. Goldwire didn't start the game, but got 27 minutes for Duke last night. So he's getting, you know, basically starters minutes, even though he's he's not actually in the starting lineup. And I liked how Duke was able to keep mixing up that lineup and all of those guys could sub in for each other. They're they're obviously not all the same player, right? Goldwire is a little bit more defensively focused. He doesn't have as much of a shot, but last night was able to make a few open shots, which was huge for this team. DJ Stewart, I think, has had a little bit more of a scorer um, reputation coming in and, and has certainly lived up to that, but is also becoming a much better defender. And, and Jeremy Roach, I think, has made the most progress this year where a couple months ago we were, you know, I think I think we were worried about Jeremy Roach and, and, and you know, just that it didn't feel like he had found his place yet. Last night, it, it, he he was one of the best members of the team, was making shots, was was playing phenomenal defense, was doing everything for Duke in a way that was kind of like, huh, where's that, where's that sort of been all along? But, but now it's here. And so I'm very impressed with the way the guards are playing together. And that showed last night tremendously. A couple of the Syracuse guards ended up having, you know, decent nights offensively. Buddy Bayheim made a bunch of shots in the second half, but, but like you guys were saying, it was all over in the first half and it was the swarming that Duke was able to to do with this guards that I think was the difference here as, you know, as good as Mark Williams was and as good as Matthew Hurt was, it started with the guards. So, so the thing about Jordan Goldwire that is worth mentioning, he, he arguably had one of the most important shots of the game um, with about 12 minutes left uh, th- this big lead that Duke had, had been out at was over more than 20 points for much of the second half. Syracuse made a little run, made it hit a few threes and suddenly it was down to 14. Now, you know, 14 still pretty comfortable, but, uh, you know, there were some of us who were getting a little bit nervous. We've seen Syracuse make these kind of comebacks before. And that was the moment where uh, Goldwire hit that three-pointer. They left him all alone on the wing. And he buried, very confidently buried a three-pointer. Didn't even really think about it. it. Came to him. He was wide open. He's like, I know I can hit this shot. And he buried it. It took it from 14 out to 17. And really, Syracuse never really threatened very much from there out. Uh, you could almost feel that Syracuse was like, oh, well. You know, we tried, but it's not going to be there. And and so I give him a ton of credit for recognizing the moment to take that big shot and knocking it down. There is also the fact that he was like two or three feet beyond the arc. And to that point, it was the first three-pointer that we had in the second half. And they had just yes, talked yes. about how we hadn't hit a three-pointer yet. They had been talking about that for like 10 minutes. <laughs> for like 10 minutes and all of a sudden three-pointer hit, in the second half. After we had hit 10, all of a sudden he just bangs it. So that was good for him. I think another thing that he did well he calmed our, calmed our guys down when Syracuse in the second half went to uh, a full court press and he was in there. He was able to get bat, get the ball across mid mid court and start the offense up. Or even there was one where Syracuse made a, a shot and then he immediately grabbed the ball, broke the press on his own and passed it off for a layup. And, you know, Jay Billis was basically like, Whoa, like Syracuse should not be giving up layups off of a made basket three seconds after they made that basket. He was very good about making sure that our guys were settled. We did. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about some of the things that we can work on with the press break, but I do think that all in all, he was very instrumental in making sure that we were organized and got the ball across midcourt and set ourselves up to make great shots out of that press break. Yeah, we had catching we Syracuse left-footed. Yeah. We, we attacked the press, which is the way you really want to do it. And we were opportunistic. We took it when it was there. And when it wasn't there, we said, okay, we'll play half court. Jason, Duke is now on a four game winning streak. We were talking a couple weeks ago about Duke being on a three game losing streak and things feeling like they were spiraling out of control. What, what happened here? Uh, you know, 
It's clear that the team changed the way it plays defense. We are switching very differently than we used to, and it has benefited us a lot. It's clear that this team that we thought was going to be a good three-point shooting team has suddenly actually become a good three-point shooting team. But, but the biggest thing to me, I think, is just they've matured, they've grown, and they've recognized what they are. And the thing I want to mention about this win streak, go back and think about this. This is four games in 10 days. This has been really compressed. It was, it was only 11 days ago that we thought Duke's season was toast. We were like, yeah, we're playing Wake Forest. You know, I don't even know if we can beat Wake at this point. It, it feels like forever, <laughs> but we have played four games in 10 days and we have been, Donald, you'll love this. We've been bow beasting teams. I, you know, three, three of these four wins were like laughers. Duke absolutely blew these teams out of the gym. Um, and that's just really impressive. You don't do that in the ACC that much. And, and don't forget, don't forget that Virginia game ended late on Saturday night. You know the guys didn't fall asleep. Look, we talked about it. We didn't fall asleep till like 2 a.m. Those guys were awake for a long time after that Virginia game ended. And to turn around and play this game on Monday after that high of a game you had late, late, late on Saturday night, I think it's just really impressive. And, and it speaks to, you know, the, the preparation that these guys have put here and, and to their youth and the fact that, that you know, they're just ha they're, they're having fun now. And I think they weren't having fun earlier. And then the, the last thing I want to mention just really quickly, I, I'd like to point out that Duke has the Energizer Bunny on their team, Henry Coleman. Look, Henry does not play a lot, but he continues to make an impact in limited minutes. He had five rebounds in six minutes in that game yesterday. Five rebounds in six minutes. That's pretty impressive. The dude just knows how to enforce his will on the game for very short periods of time. And I think it's very exciting to, to sort of think about what he's going to grow into at, at some point. And I just didn't want us to finish all the good stuff without mentioning that Henry Coleman once again – you know, we talked about it in the Virginia game, only guy on the team to grab offensive rebounds was Henry Coleman. In this game, six minutes, gets five rebounds and blocks a shot. Had a nice block shot, by the way. I, I just, I, I continue to get a smile on my face when I think about Henry Coleman. Can I make our transition to the discussion of the bad by talking about something that should still impress us, but is now entirely like expected? Is Matthew Hurt scoring 15 points and grabbing five rebounds and, and, dishing out five assists on a night when he's five for 11 from the field. And we're just like, okay, like, cool. That's, that's Matthew hurt. Now. Hey, so hey, let me, standards. let me talk about the most expected thing is just Matthew hurt being awesome. Before I talk about bad things. Is that fair? The, the standard of the Duke basketball report podcast is high. We've, we have discussed this. Matthew hurt needs to do better. I say this people with a smile on my face because I'm trying not to laugh when I say this because it's so funny that you just mentioned that we just went, what, 20 minutes without mentioning Matthew Hurt. Well, he was three points under his season average. So he's he's pulling his own. He, he was below his season average in both points and rebounds. He did have a great night on assists, but he's pulling his averages down. So, and, and we can't have, you know, if the guy, if the guy wants to get an AC, all ACC nod or an all American nod, you know, you got to keep those numbers up. By the way, we should mention, is this the moment where we mention, hey, Sam, you did not pick <laughs> Matthew Hurt for, a for Duke Player of the Week, and he won ACC Player I'm of the sorry, Week. I'm sorry, I don't Duke remember. I don't remember any of this. ACC Player I of the Week. I told you. I told you what was going to happen. You, sorry. You, did, I told you I switched my vote for this very reason. I knew it was going to happen. 
Did you bring receipts? You might, we, we, it, it's recorded. It will be on the internet as, as long as we <laughs> want it to. So, all right. That's my mediocre thing of the game is Matthew Hurt just being Matthew Hurt and, and doing the thing that he has been doing all year. So, guys, let's talk about the bad a little bit. And I'm curious to see where each of you go with this. Donald, I'm going to come to you first. Give me something that was bad from this game from Duke that you think still needs work before they play Louisville this weekend. A Louisville team, by the way, who is below Duke in the metrics, but is still definitely considered a team that is um, either on its way to the NCAA tournament or, or just out, but definitely a team Duke needs to, to get some revenge against. Yeah, well, we had 16 turnovers last night, and, and I mentioned the press break earlier and how we became organized under Jordan Goldwire when he checked into the game. Before that, we were a little erratic with that. We, we had some chances where we went a little too fast. Like the momentum carried us to the point where we were out of control. We need to settle down when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, but I do think that a lot of the opportunities that we had, of course, you know, it, we're not talking about them now because we beat them by 16 and it should have been probably 25. But those close games, like the last game that we played against Louisville, these turnovers will catch up. We want to have possessions every single chance we get down the stretch and we can't be lazy and, and careless with the basketball. So that's the thing that I had from this. I think that we were able to settle that down, but there was a point where it was kind of like, Hey, everybody just take a breath. We're still up by 20, but let's take a breath and, and get back to business here and get back to basics and keep, keep the basketball in our hands so that they don't make any more threes and, and take a little bit more momentum. So that's basically the one big thing that I have. I think there's some smaller things, but the big one is take care of the basketball. We won't have to worry about anything. I think that the sort of dovetailing on that, the thing that stands out to me is that in the second half, Duke didn't keep their foot on the pedal. Like most of the starters were still in the game and playing, and it felt like they eased up a little bit. I, I know we were discussing last night between the three of us how, oh, well, Syracuse is still trying and, and what are they doing? Taking, taking big shots and going for steals and stuff like down by 12 with a minute left or whatever it was. And my reaction to that was, well, I, I think Duke should be playing through the buzzer here. Like if, if Jordan Goldwire is still in the game, Jordan Goldwire is, is not necessarily a starter, but he's playing starters minutes. And if Wendell Moore is in the game and all these guys, like I, I think that there was lost time early in the season between missed games for COVID and also just this team's development where yes, it's late February, but in terms of the development of this particular team, it's probably like mid January for them as far as where we normally expect a Duke team to be. So I actually want to see them playing through the whistle, through the buzzer a little bit more. And and I actually would have liked to see Duke win this game by 20 plus and, and really show that, that things have turned a corner. Now, is that actually going to manifest in the next game? Is that, is that going to matter? No, they have a few days off. So they get some time to recover, get a little bit more energy, get hyped for this revenge game. But I actually kind of want to see a little bit more of that, that killer instinct, you know, for 40 minutes from Duke and not just for the first 30. The legit point. I, I don't disagree with you. Um, I was the guy who was sort of like, why is Syracuse still like pressing and trapping here at the very end? It felt a little silly. And I, I kind of wish, Duke had taken advantage of it. Like they didn't turn us over, but you know, we were sort of like not trying to score that much. And I, I wish we had, you know, you can imagine tried to stomp. You think you can imagine Jim Beheim and, and Mike Krzyzewski looking at each other with like eight, 10 minutes left in the game and going, no, we're still playing. Like I'm not, we're <laughs> like, like other guys would, would, would call the dogs off here, but we're, we're still running this. Like this is our, this is our thing. 
So, so my, my negatives from the game, my vegetable, so to speak, uh, Duke did not get to the line. And this has been an issue for this team a lot this year. We were just four of seven on free throws in this game. Now, Syracuse is a team that prides itself on not fouling a lot. I mean, the way they play that zone, they, they you know, it, it's sort of designed not to have a lot of fouls and, and good for them. That's fine. But we still need to figure out a way to get to the line and get those free points, those easy points that you get um, at the free throw line. Um, and I guess not in the same kind of vein, but somewhat similar to that in the second half, Duke really didn't hit their threes. Um, if we're talking about ways to score points um, in the first half, Duke was raining threes. In the second half, we were just three of 11. And Jim Beheim again, in the post-game news conference said that, that they adjusted their defense. They were not playing the right kind of defense in the first half. They adjusted things. And in the second half, they really controlled Duke's, you know, three point percentage. And uh, you know, that, that bothers me. I'd like to see us continuing to, we don't have to hit 50% <laughs> the way we were in the first, we don't have to hit 50% all the time, but three of 11, you know, if I'm going to pick nits, which is what I'm doing now, that's, that's what I'm going to have. And then the last thing is just two days. I mean, less than 48 hours after having his best game in a Duke uniform, Jamin Brakefield is, you know, almost a no show in this game. It does not play much at all. Uh, he came in toward the end. He only got about six minutes, seven minutes. Um, uh, some of that was the, you know, the final two or three minutes of the game when we were kind of bringing guys in off the bench. Um, I, I think that it, it was clear that Mark Williams was dominating. Look, I, I led my whole thing talking about Mark Williams and, and Jamin and Mark are, are clearly splitting minutes at the five right now. So there's not going to be a lot of opportunity for Jamin to get minutes when Mark is playing that well. And I think that's a lot of why we didn't see Jamin. But I think it's very interesting that Duke sort of has this two-headed monster against Virginia. Jamin Brakefield was great. Mark Williams didn't do very much. Here we go against Syracuse. Mark Williams is great. Jamin Brakefield doesn't do that much. If they keep on doing that, I'm fine with it. <laughs> it works for me. But it is still worth noting that literally 36 to 48 hours after his best game in a Duke uniform, Jamin Brakefield is barely even in the game for Duke in this game. So I just thought that was interesting. And hey, guys, if I can, one really quick last thing. I just want to shout out to myself from the preview. In the preview, I mentioned Kadari Richmond. Uh, that dude was great in this game. He only had one steal against us. This is the steel king. This guy is like the best steel guy in the country. Um, he's just a freshman. I'm going to make a prediction right now. Kadari Richmond, before he leaves Syracuse, will be an, an all-ACC player. I, I, I was just really impressed with his play last night. Um, and, and, you know, it's neither, it's neither vegetables nor dessert, <laughs> but I just wanted to note, um, that this, this kid looks like he's a real keeper uh, you know, Syracuse is going to have guys graduate and leave. And when there's more opportunity for him to be the focal point, Kadari Richmond's going to be a big time player in the ACC. Remember his name. All right. So that will do it for the Syracuse game. I think we're all appropriately fired up after that. We are going to look ahead now to, Duke's next game, which is coming up this weekend against Louisville. But before that, we are going to take a quick break. We are back and Duke is back this weekend, Saturday at six o'clock. They are hosting Louisville back in Cameron Indoor Stadium Duke, of course, lost to Louisville about a month ago. It was a 70 to 65 game up there in the KFC Yum Center. And I think Duke is looking for a little revenge. So we'll do our our bit of preview for this game. Louisville has a game tonight. Um, they have been on a bit of a, a weird schedule because of a COVID pause recently. So, Donald, I'm going to come to you first. Tell me about what's happened to Louisville the last few weeks and how 
maybe it's an opportunity for Duke to take advantage. Absolutely. Uh, they're 11 and five right now, six and four in the ACC. Uh, but as you mentioned, since they beat us a month ago today, as we record, uh, they are one and two. They, as you mentioned, went on a COVID pause for three weeks. They lost four games. Uh, they lost to Clemson. They beat Georgia Tech before that COVID pause. And their first game back was last weekend. And, and I'm not sure the quite way to describe this. They got blown they got their ozone layer blown out by. They got UNC. Bo Beeston. They got. Oh Bo no, Beeston. no, they, no. Bo Beeston is that? that is, it was ninety nine to fifty four. Even me, the king of Bo Beeston, that is that is way beyond Bo Beeston. And again, that was a game where ninety nine to fifty four wasn't that close. They were they were just getting stomped all over the place. But the reason for that is because against UNC, they just couldn't hit anything. They shot less than thirty three percent from the field. They only hit one three. They were one of 16 from beyond the arc. They allowed UNC to shoot almost 61% from the floor. And they also didn't move the ball around while they let UNC just kind of pass and get whatever open shot they want. So we need to take that and, and kind of take a key from down the road. Not saying we have to borrow anything else, but let's play that kind of game where we're passing the ball around like we did against Syracuse, making sure that they, Louisville has to remain active on defense because they are not good at translating that into offense and they get tired out very quickly. You saw against that UNC, there's a lot of guys who were just gassed at the end of the game. So the thing about this game though, both teams are technically tied for fifth place in the conference because right now the conference is based on win percentage because of all these uh, COVID cancellations. So this game is big because when we talk about the NCAA tournament and how the ACC is looking to get six or seven bids, we want to be in that top four to continue to be in that conversation and a win over Louisville is yet another game where we can say that we beat someone above us and we kept moving up the standings because they're not going to take, as we've mentioned before, if they're going to take six teams, they're not going to take one, two, three, and then skip four or five and then take like six, seven, and eight. They're going to take those top four teams. If we're in that top four, that gives us some, some bite for our conversation. The other thing on top of this, the other thing that the NCAA likes to look at, this is a revenge game. Again, we lost to them a month ago today. One thing you want to show is that you're avenging some of the losses against teams that you lost to early in the season. The thing that we have is we have a nice four or five day break where we can take some time and get our, get our batteries recharged after this little stint where we rattled off four straight in 10 days. We need to bring that momentum with us to Saturday, though, because if we could take that momentum, pass the ball like we've been doing before and hit our open shots, Louisville is a team that we can beat and also on top of that, once we do, this will only elevate us further, further into that where we're off the bubble in a positive way in the NCAA tournament bracketology. Jason, give me the latest update on Louisville's advanced metrics and where Duke might be able in their current in the current version of Duke, which is pretty different than the version of Duke that Louisville saw a month ago, how Duke might match up with them now. So the really interesting thing to me is going to be we, we've talked a lot about the fact that Duke has sort of changed the way they play defense, changed the way they play pick and roll, how they switch. And Carlick Jones and Louisville carved Duke up in the pick and roll last game. And it's going to be really this is a huge challenge and this is going to be really important for us. And, and by the way, right after Louisville, we're going to get Georgia Tech, another team with Jose Alvarado at the at the head that uses the pick and roll and carved us up last time we played them. Um, even though we, we ended up winning the game, 
Jose Alvarado was really effective in the pick and roll. We, we need to see, we're going to finally really get a great chance to see if Duke's new way of playing defense um, with our bigs is going to work against dynamic guards who, who are so good at this kind of offense. Uh, in terms of the advanced stats on, on Louisville, they are the 51st best team in Ken Pomeroy. Not 51st, not that great. Uh, 64th on offense, 40th on defense. So, you know, good at both, but not exceptional at either one of them. On offense, Donald alluded to this. They are a poor three-point shooting team. They only hit 30.4% of their three-pointers. That's like 300th in the country. Not good. And in ACC play, it's even worse than that. They hit 28% of their threes in ACC play. That is worst in the conference. Duke, by the way, Duke is the worst team in the conference, last in the conference at three-point defense. We allow 38, almost 39% of our opponent's field goals. So which will happen? Which will win out? Will the terrible shooting team in Louisville be better than, uh, you know, will that take precedent over Duke being the terrible three-point defensive team? <laughs> it's going to be a battle of the worst, and we'll see which worst wins out. I hope it is Duke's worst. By the way, because they are a poor three-point shooting team, Louisville is one of the teams that shoots the fewest number of threes of anybody in the country. Um, and the only guy in this team that is really a threat from deep is David Johnson. He hits over 40% of his threes. The rest of the team, there isn't a single guy on the rest of the team that even hits 30% of their three-pointers. Shut down David Johnson. Louisville has no game outside. And, and again, as I mentioned, frankly, the three is not a big part of Louisville's game. They're trying to use the pick and roll with Carlick Jones. That is, we saw it last time. That is what they still are. On defense, this is a team that does not block shots and does not get steals. They're in the bottom quarter of the country in both block percentage and steal percentage. They are good at defending the three-point line. They are the best team in the ACC at defending the three-point line. Uh, opponents only hit 30% of their threes against Louisville in ACC play. That's a big deal. And they have Louisville has this weird, just frankly, lucky stat. Um, they are the ninth best team in the country. Ninth best, 350 teams in the U.S., Louisville is the ninth best team in the country at opponent free throw percentage. Louisville's opponents hit 64% of their free throws. People, I'm telling you, that is a function of luck. There's no such thing as free throw defense. I mean, especially with no crowds in the stadium. I know Duke fans would disagree. I know that we try and make, you know, make life hell for our opponents in Cameron. But especially this season, there's no such thing as free throw defense. So the fact that Louisville has somehow lucked into having opponents only hit 64% of their free throws. It's, it's just random. And, and it, you know, in a close game, that kind of thing can help them. But I don't think that kind of thing lasts over the course of an entire season. So they're probably due for some teams to hit good free throws against them. Last thing I want to mention about them, um, and, and this isn't advanced stats, but, but it's something I do want to, to talk about very quickly. We, we talked about Mark Williams having a big game. This could be yet another team that really has trouble with him. The only big guy they have is Jalen Withers. Now, he's a really good offensive rebounder, but he's only 6'8". And I think Mark Williams could be a real problem for them. I don't see that they have anybody who can, you know, really play with someone the size of Mark Williams. And Jalen Withers, who Mark will be guarding, is not someone who's going to go outside. He's only taken four three-pointers in conference play this year. The vast majority of his shots are taken in the lane. That means Mark Williams can sag off of him a little bit. If he tries to drift outside and take Mark away from the basket... Mark does not have to follow him. And in a case like that, Mark Williams patrolling the lane, that's good for Duke and makes life very difficult for Louisville. Even if you're running a good pick and roll, Mark Williams can eliminate a good pick and roll with his size. 
Sam, that is a great segue to you talking about their players. Well, I was going to say that I've got notes specifically about Carlick Jones, who has been, as you guys noted, Louisville's star player this year. He's not great. He's not, I think, on the same level as some of the handful of other really top-tier all-ACC type players that we've seen this year, but very effective. Not the best shooter, uh, but but sort of good at everything, Carlick Jones. And uh, so we talked about him. I'll just keep going down through my list. I had notes about David Johnson, who did, did I ruin this for you? I ruined the this whole for thing. You. I'm so the sorry. Whole thing. But 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 I'd like to <laughs> I'd like to note how thorough I was, so I at least get some points with the with the listeners. I I had notes about how David Johnson is is one of Louisville's most effective offensive players, although recently he's been struggling. Now, what does recently mean on a team that's only played was it like two games in the last month or something? Uh, so everything is everything is sort of relative right now for them. But but David Johnson's a guy who I think is fading a little bit for Louisville and and maybe is someone that Duke can take advantage of, uh, especially if he's the only one who's trying to score from outside. Hopefully that means Duke is able to turn the ball over a little bit more if if there's not a lot of outlet passing and 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 effective ball movement around the perimeter that actually leads to buckets for Louisville. And then the last guy that I noted who I think is coming on a little stronger right now is Jalen Withers, the the freshman big man who's, as you said, Jason, not really at Mark Williams' size, but someone who is, I think, getting more comfortable in the ACC and and someone who I feel like maybe it doesn't happen this year. Maybe this happens next year for him, but is going to realize that, that he can be a double double guy in the ACC. So, so maybe the game this weekend will be a bit of a preview of a better matchup that we'll see next year between him and Mark Williams. Although maybe Louisville will have another big man that can, that, that can actually play center and, and actually match up with Mark Williams. So we'll see. I had, I had those three guys noted Jalen Withers seems like someone to me that, that that's kind of on the rise. So maybe someone that, that Duke fans need to look out for guys, anything else about Louisville before we, before we turn it around? I know, unfortunately we're recording this in the afternoon on Tuesday and Louisville is going to play a game tonight. So, so the best, most recent data is going to be, uh, go check out what happened in the game tonight against uh, – they're playing Notre Dame tonight. Go check out that game just to see uh, see how Louisville's doing. Hopefully, for their own sake, they don't look as atrocious as they did against Carolina. Well, I was going to say, yeah, it's especially important to, to, to have a look at that game because when you take a three-week COVID pause, like the, the Louisville that was January, we have no idea what they are today compared to what they were in January. I mean, it's clear that they were – to say they were rusty doesn't do it justice for what happened to them against North Carolina. And, and you just wonder, when are they going to get back to being uh, you know, a, a fairly good team? Uh, are they going to get back to being a fairly good team? How long will it take? And, and then the other thing I wanted to note about this game, somewhat similar to the game we had against Syracuse, um, this is a team that, uh, you know, Syracuse is on the wrong side of the bubble. Louisville is on the right side of the bubble right now, but not, not far on the right side of the bubble. And so, you know, to some extent, this is Duke playing another one of the teams that's sort of in there in the mix for the final few bids to the NCAA tournament, um, which means there's some desperation on both sides. Both teams need this game. I mean, Louisville probably feels like if they win this game, they, they're pretty close to punching their ticket. Lose this game, and they have a lot more work to do. And, they've got, and they start to get really worried about, you know, what their fate is with the NCAA. So, so it's, a, it's, it's a big game for both teams, the same way it was for Syracuse. I just hope the result's the same. Technically, we are two games back of first place in the ACC because of how the win percentages look out. Even though we have four more losses than Florida State, if they lose two games because of them playing fewer games because of COVID, 
We will be right back in this conversation. Winning to winning on Saturday against Louisville is just going to further increase that and, and really make it so that when we look at the when we look at the whole course of things, the NCAA committee is going to say this Duke team is hotter than any team in the country, and they are moving up the rankings in the ACC. Again, you can't take six guys without taking the top two or three, and we want to be in that top two or three. Is that absurd or what? That's it's crazy. <laughs> Duke it's crazy. is actually in striking distance of, of winning the conference or at least getting, you know, all the available buys to the in the ACC tournament in a year when it's been so up and down and canceled games and, you know, a star player quits the team. And uh, I'm sorry, I don't know if I want to use language that that's strong, but but all of those things have happened. So anyway, if 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 we win out, if Duke wins our final remaining three games, we are locked into no worse than fourth place in the ACC. We will get the double buy. We have that. We can control our fate in that. How crazy that. That said, with only three games that said, left. That's it. Yeah, uh, we have as tough a final three games, by the way, as anybody in the conference. I mean, we're playing three teams that are all good teams that are all eyeing the NCAA tournament, um, and two of those games are on the road. And road wins are tough to get in the ACC. I could, I could see a scenario where we go zero and three, and I can see us going three and zero, uh, and you know, and anything in between. It, nothing is a given at this point. Real brief. I mean, you just noted it. Saturday's our last home game. I mean, in a year that seems like has been, you know, 40 years long, we're, we're having our last game in Cameron for, you know, Jordan Goldwire. It could possibly, if, if he decides not to exercise this do over that everyone's getting, then it's his, then it's his last year in Cameron, their last game in Cameron. It's, is Mike Buckmeyer's last game in Cameron. So those also add to the intangibles of everything. And so we want to go out on a high note, leave Cameron with a win and, and keep this momentum going. Well, we will see what kind of high production value uh, entertainment the folks over at Duke Social Media provide in honor of Jordan Goldwire and Mike Buckmeyer's last game in Cameron on Saturday. We are looking forward to it. We are looking forward to watching that and hopefully seeing Duke extend their winning streak. That will do it for this episode, though. If you want to uh, get in touch with us, don't forget to email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a five-star rating at wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate those. Those are great. And we will talk to you again after that game this weekend, unless some other news comes up. It is it is 2021 after all, so we can't actually predict when the next time is that, that we'll have to come back and talk to you because as soon as we think, oh, this is the plan, it gets completely upended. But Uh, For Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 286 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home.